We live in a world that is quickly uh, not improving. Is that a good... <laughs> Since I was here, the world has not become a warmer, sweeter, kinder place. Amen? Is it safe to say that since I was here, the world has become a more hostile place than it was? A place that's less friendly to God's Word, less friendly to the conversion process, less friendly to what we're endeavoring to do, to be followers of Jesus Christ, to be His faithful disciples. It's, it's not easy, is it, in this world that is so contrary to us And I want to talk about some of those scriptures today that will encourage us and lift us up and reinforce that faith that we were talking about, you know, and the mercy that never fails, you know, the fact that we do have a place to go. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles over to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter chapter 5. I've got a, a lot of markers in my book, and uh, you may not have time to follow me. I'm going to try and go through them quickly. At, at any rate, in 1 John chapter 5, at verse 19, it says something about this world. We know that we are of God, and we do indeed know that. We have responded to a call, and God has blessed us with light that has not yet penetrated to the rest of the world. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. And if you've heard me preach before, you know that I like to dig into the precise meaning and the different meanings and the nuance of meaning that some of the Greek words can can have for us. And uh, I'm firmly convinced that it was not by mistake or, or, or chance that God chose the New Testament to be preserved for us, in the Greek language because of its richness of expression. It's, a, it's an intellectual language. It's, it's a language that when they put electrodes on people and have them speak that language, you can actually see it light up a scope in such a way to indicate a lot of brain activity is happening. And, and so it, it, it's a language where you can talk about emotion and you can talk about facts and figures. Some of the translations... Could, uh, we could do better to look into them, and that's what I want to do right now. This word, wickedness, is of great significance. The whole world lies in wickedness. This word is poneros, and it literally means evil in motion, evil in action, the works of evilness, evil activity. That's what's going on in the world, and we're as as we're living in this world, and part of it, sometimes we can be very much aware that that's happening, but at other times, we don't necessarily see it. But the indication is is that it's going on around us at all times, because there is one who's actually in charge in this world. I was was recently listening to the radio, and and I heard a song that I'm sure many of you will identify with. And it was old Louis Armstrong. I see fields of green, red roses too. What a wonderful world. And it seems like so many of us love that song, don't we? And I was thinking, you know, that's more prophetic than accurate. It's It's prophetic in terms of what the world will be. 
But for the present time, the world is not all of that pleasantness, is it? The reality is we live in a world that is contrary to us. And there is one dedicated to our destruction. And Poneros, Poneros is in action all around us. And verse 20. We know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding. The, the mysterion of God, the mystery of God has been opened up to us in many ways. That we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God and eternal life. So brethren, that is a very encouraging thing. Jesus Christ has made us aware of certain things. And we are now ex- we're seeing and experiencing certain sociological and political and other things going on that trouble us. Is that a fair statement? Do we see in the news every day things that some of us, longtime members of the church, we see events happening in the news, reported to us in the news, and you tell me if I'm right. Doesn't it take your mind to certain prophetic scriptures and certain certain things that have been preached to us over the years? And isn't it true that we're that we're starting to see a scenario that puts us in mind of certain prophetic prophetic scenarios in God's Word? It does indeed. And it and it seems like it's happening more and more every day. Yeah. And in this country, would I find agreement in this audience that there is currently a cultural civil war going on in this country. A civil war is going on in this country for the soul of this country, for the very life of this country. And at times it certainly looks like the forces of evil are winning in that cultural battle. But I want to give you some scripture today to encourage you. Turn with me, and you would if you're in your Bibles, over to 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, I want to break into the text of chapter 3. This is the reality of the world that we live in. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. And incontinent in this context doesn't mean somebody having trouble with their kidneys. It's talking about being out of control emotionally. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And we see this having a form of godliness oftentimes paraded before us in the speeches of politicians when they will choose to take a scripture out of context for whatever purpose. And it's a form of religion, but it denies the power thereof. It denies the obedience thereof, of course. But I want to draw your attention to something, and I want to correct something that might be misunderstood here. This is not telling us to turn away from people like this. All the examples in in the Bible are contrary to that concept. 
You can't, we live in the world. That's just the fact. And we have to interact with people in this world. Every day we interact with people who are not part of our fellowship. Every day we have opportunities to be light and to be salt. And every day we have opportunities to influence people. This is not telling us to turn away from individuals like this. This is a list of character traits that we are to turn away from. Jesus Christ ate with sinners. He he interacted with sinners. Paul went amongst the sinners. We're not to turn away from them. We're not to cloister ourselves and hide away from them. No, we are to be light and salt to them, of course. But the warning here is that these character traits must not infect us. This is what the world wants to do to us. This is the condition of the world. This is the condition of man. This is human nature being described for us. And it is constant. All the the way through man's history in this planet, this is the description of man's behavior over and over again. But what we need to understand here is that it's being referenced in the last day Therefore, we are to understand it in the context of ramping up, increasing. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ implied, of course, in the Olivet Prophecy. These things are increasing. And this word perilous, as I've explained to you before, is of great, great significance. It means danger. It means peril. And certainly, that is true. That's a, that's a, a legitimate understanding of the word. But in this context, it absolutely means this. Kalipos is the word, and it means to be worn down and tried. It means to be worn away. It means to be tested. It means to be plagued with problems. That's what that word means. That's that's the first understanding of the word. Peril is another understanding. But we are in peril if we allow ourselves to be worn down and worn away and allow these conditions, these character traits, to infect us. Because it's natural to be this way and very unnatural to be Christ-like. And this is what we have to guard against. Because this will automatically happen if you're not pursuing Jesus Christ. This will automatically happen if... We're not doing those disciplines as disciples of Jesus Christ that we've been given to do. Because Satan the devil doesn't sleep, he doesn't need rest, and he knows your intimate secrets. Now, wait a minute. Maybe I'm the only one here who has intimate secrets. I just want to see the looks on people's faces. The fact is... We are not fully converted. Will someone dispute that? Conversion is a lifelong process. I've heard people, well-intentioned people, say that when they came up from the waters of baptism, they or someone else was fully converted. No, they weren't, and no one else was either. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't need conversion. When he came up, he was already perfect, of course. But it's a lifelong process. And it begins with baptism and the receiving of God's Holy Spirit, the ongoing repentance, the daily struggle. Is anyone here so converted? Have you been in God's church so long and you're so pious and devoted now, so converted now, that my words don't apply to you? If so, raise your hand and we'll all stare at you. 
No, it is still a struggle. And the world doesn't help. I mean, the world is contrary to us. There is no succor, there is no comfort, there is no salve other than in the fellowship of God's church. It's, it's cold and harsh out there and contrary to us, unfortunately. But look across the page in, for, in 2 Timothy at chapter 1. You see, the deck is not stacked against us. The deck is actually stacked in our favor. Let me say that again. The deck is stacked in our favor because it's absolutely contrary to God's will, whose will is immutable and irrepressible and irresistible. It is contrary to that sovereign, irrepressible, irresistible, immutable will that any of us should perish but that we should all come to repentance. And like I said, it's an ongoing process. And we have now been empowered to make that a possibility for us. Look what Paul had to say to Timothy, his protege, one that he referred to as his son in the faith. Let me break into the text at verse 6. He wanted to put him in remembrance. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So there is something, apparently, that we need to do. We need to stir up the gift. We, we need to take action. We need to be proactive. Verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, and as I've explained to you before, I see my friend George Pantelidis is not here today. And when he's in the audience, sometimes I, I count on him to give me the correct pronunciation of the Greek word. But it was George who helped me to understand this about the Greek language, which I've been studying for 40 years and still can't speak a word of it. You know. But I can do the research. You know. The Greek language has the ability to say something one way, and if it's and if it's written a certain way, if, there's a, if the grammar happens to be a certain way, with certain punctuation, then you can understand it in, in the opposite context as well. In other words, since we haven't been given the spirit of fear, we are to understand and conclude that we have been given a spirit of courage. Do you follow me? We have a spirit of courage. God doesn't like for us to be fearful. Courage comes from God. It's a God quality. We don't conjure that up out of ourselves. Courage is a is a God quality. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of courage, as it were, in our understanding, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And the word power here is dunamis. A very, very important understanding is attached to that concept of dunamis. Dunamis is the dynamic power that we receive with the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. And it engenders the new creature in Christ. It begins a process that will have a conclusion when we meet Jesus Christ in the air. Dunamis is the, is the renewing, life-giving power of God. Dunamis is what happened to Mary when the Holy Spirit came upon her and she became pregnant. It is the life-generating Spirit of God, the power of God, the dynamic power of God. 
The word dunamis has that root word for dynamo and for dynamite, the dynamic power of God. It has happened to us. We have received an earnest of it, a down payment of it, which can increase, of course. And that has changed us. Because we have received that, something has has started in us, and you can never be the same again. Something has begun that must and will have a conclusion. I'm not the same anymore. You're not the same anymore. Will you, will you raise your hand with me today and attest to the fact that Jesus Christ and God your Father have changed you? Something has happened in your life and the indwelling of God's Spirit and your attempt to be obedient to His Word is having an effect upon you. And you're not the same anymore. And you know things now that you didn't know before. Things that you couldn't have known without God's interaction with you. Something has happened to you. Ah, we're new creatures in Christ. Yes. Being converted. Becoming more and more Christ-like. Just let me interrupt myself long enough to talk about what conversion really is. God doesn't overrule our autonomy. We are free moral agents, and we always shall be. God doesn't want computers. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want them now, and he never shall. He wants us to be free-thinking individuals. He wants his children to have the freedom to think and interact with him as a child. And that will be true out into eternity. And it will be precious to God and precious to us. Yeah. We're not programmed. We're not computers. Yes. He wants us to be able to think and come to our own conclusions. So he will not override our autonomy. The conversion process makes us a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his spirit, the indwelling of that spirit. We still have autonomy. I can choose to stay home and lay in bed on the Sabbath or get up and go to a saloon on the Sabbath or any number of things contrary to God's commandments. I have free moral agency. No one here is being guided by the hand of God. He hasn't reached down and taken you by the nap of a neck. You know, he's not guiding you through life. You know. He can give you inspiration. We can, we can follow the lead of his spirit, but he's not forcing us. We have free moral agency. And that comes with dunamis. It comes with the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Let me include something else in that, that gift of God's Holy Spirit that I want to share with you. Turn with me in your Bibles, briefly, hold your place here, and turn with me in your Bibles over to John's Gospel. The Gospel of the Apostle John. Let me break into the text of John's Gospel here. At verse 10, he's talking about the, the, the words of uh, John the Baptist, of course. John the Apostle is quoting them here. Talking about the fact that Christ was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And I submit to you, brethren, that the world still does not know him. We know him because of divine fiat from God, because God has made it possible for us to know him. Verse 10, 
He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I want to talk about the word received. The Greek word is lambano. And again, the understanding is very, very significant. It, it means to receive, but it literally means to reach out and take hold. It, it literally means to grasp and pull to you. It actually means to take, to receive in the context of taking something, latching on to something. We've been called to embrace our God. We've been called to latch on to him, which is one of the reasons why we are now spiritual Israelites. You'll recall the story that there was a man who wrestled in the dirt all night with Jacob. And as we read through the story, we discovered that it, it was indeed the eternal. It was God. It was Jesus Christ in humanoid form. And he got down in the dirt and he wrestled with Jacob. And they wrestled all night and Jacob would not let go. Even to the point where God gave him some kind of injury to his hip. Knocked his hip out of shapes. Give him a Muay Thai kick or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. But he still wouldn't let go. He was tenacious. He absolutely would not let go. And God could have overpowered him supernaturally, but he didn't. He was, he was forcing to see what Jacob would do. Jacob wouldn't let go. He says, unless you, I will not. You must give me the, the blessing. I won't let go. And God said, what's your name? Think you already knew? And he said, my name is Jacob. He says, well, not anymore. He said, because of your tenacity, because you would not let go, because, of, because you demand the blessing and you will not let go, your name will now be Israel. And all of those Hebrew letters that make up the word Israel literally translates as you are now a prince in the esteem of God because you prevail with God and man literally means that. That's what the word means. And that's what he did that night. He lambano. He, he wouldn't let go. And that's what we're being told here to do. And just as an aside here, immigration, lawful immigration, boy, that has things connected to it when you say lawful immigration, doesn't it? If you're reading between the lines, you're probably reading collect, correctly what I'm thinking. Yeah. But lawful immigration was a way of life in ancient Israel, based upon, based upon Lambano. Anyone of any race, of any ethnicity, of any background whatsoever, could come in and join the congregation of Israel and receive all the rights and ranks and honors and duties and privileges of being an Israelite and be called an Israelite and indeed be an Israelite if they would Lambano, the God of Israel. If they would embrace the God of Israel, by God's definition, they were an Israelite. Are you following me? And so too are we in that context, brethren. And that's what he expects of us. But now I want to draw your attention to this other word. If we do indeed receive him, he gives us power to become the sons of God. And the word power here is not dynamis. It is the word exosia. And it literally means the, the authority and the authenticity of a calling. He has authorized us now to become 
his sons. To begin the process in receiving him that ultimately will make us his children. To those of us who have lambanoed him, he has given the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, even to them that paistiuo on his name. That's that Greek word that of great significance because it does translate simply as believe, but it also has attachments to it that are worthwhile knowing. It is a masculine gender Greek participle. Now, why tell you all that? I'm telling you that because that means something. It has, it has action connected to it. In other words, it means it's a proactive belief. It's more than just an awareness. You know, most of the people in this country believe that, you know, I mean, most people know what Christian theology is and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Messiah. Even the, even the demons believe. They know and believe, yes. So it, it has to be something more than just believing. It has to be something more than just knowing, you know. When preachers tomorrow morning all over the world will get up and say, all you got to do is believe, they will be incorrect. There's more to it because they don't even understand apparently what the word paisteo means. It is a proactive involvement. It is a belief that motivates you. It's a belief so strong that you can't not do it. It's a belief that engages you. That's what that word means in its purest definition. That's, that's lambano. That's embracing him. That's participation. That's doing it. And that's overcoming the world when you do that. Very, very important for us to consider. Now, turn back to 2 Timothy with me. And I see somebody was kind enough to put some water up here. You'll pardon me while I drink. Still having trouble with my voice, but... uh, The water helps. Going back to what Paul had to say to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, one of courage and our understanding, but of power, dynamic power, the dynamic life engendering, daily renewing power, and of love, agape. We have actually been given agape, which of course... If we understand what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is called the love chapter, agape enhances phileo. Agape makes us capable of having genuine brotherly love amongst the brethren, of course. You can't have agape. A human being cannot experience agape without the basis of phileo as, as well, of course. And that's what we have. We've been given... Phileo and agape. We've also been given a sound mind. And as I've said so many times, and it's, it's a theme of mine and, and finds its way into so many of my sermons, we have been given a sound mind. And some of the modern translations literally translate it as the spirit of sanity. We have a spirit of a sound mind, a healthy mind, a spirit of sanity. It isn't for naught that we're told to have the mind of Christ. That is the definition of sanity. The mind of Christ is sanity, and anything else is not. And that's why I've said that the world is insane, and we were once insane as well. And it's a matter of degrees. 
Some people are so insane that they put other people in ovens and kill them. You know. Some people are so insane that they're doing all the things that we can look out in the world today and see. You know. Most of us stumble along well enough to go from day to day, but before, before you receive the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, before exosia and dunamis happened to you, you were nuts by this book's definition. I don't say that to insult you. I say it because I know where it immediately takes your mind and you verify the fact. Because you know you and you remember you. Just like I do. And now we have the fix. Now we have the antidote. Because that insanity is, is a terminal disease. It will kill you without the fix. And the fix, of course, is indeed the mind of Christ, the indwelling of his spirit. We've been given that. We have that now. We can exercise rational thinking soundly, to rationalize soundly, as, as being led by God, of course. And that's, of course, very important because without it, we simply cannot succeed. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, over to James chapter 1. The book of James chapter 1. And I've got so many markers in my Bible, they're getting in my own way here. All right. In James chapter 1, let me break into the text at verse 13. What I be safe in saying that, that these scriptures that I'm about to read have impact upon all of us? Does anybody here ever struggle with temptation? I see a man raise his hand. Brave man. Yeah. We could all do that, though, couldn't we, honestly? Do we all struggle sometimes? Do you, do you ever find it difficult to not lose your temper? Now, that's, that's been especially true of me in, in many times, you know. Short temper, you know. Lack of patience. Prior to my calling, prior to my receiving God's Holy Spirit, prior to the beginning of the conversion process in me, many of you know the story about me. Used to, used to be pretty... Uh, well, I wasn't a Christian. Let's just leave it at that. You know. All right. But the fact is, what James has to say here is of great significance. Breaking into the context at verse 13. You see, because it's all around us all the time. We can succumb to it or we can listen to this. Let no man or woman, obviously, say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. The word for temptation that Jesus Christ experienced, because God can't be tempted. The word for temptation in Matthew chapter 4, by the way, terasmus literally means to be tested, to be scrutinized. Satan the devil scrutinizes and tests us, brings things our way, causes things to happen in, in ways that test us. We are often set up for situations to see how we will respond. So you have to understand what the Greek word really implies. God doesn't set us up with temptations that are overpowering. He doesn't set us up to see us fall. 
we have not been given hoops to jump through that you can't jump through, you know. And he will not set anybody up in such a way that they can't overcome it. And he has said he would not put anything on us or allow us anything to happen to us more than what we can do, more than what we can handle. Commensurate with his grace and his spirit in us. He will not. That's a promise that we can count on. But he will allow us to be tested. Because in testing, not only does Satan the devil see the the results of the test, so does God. And from incident in your life to to the next incident in your life and mine, from from failure to victory and all the things that happen on a day-to-day basis, God is able to see us just like he did Abraham and say, "Uh, now I know. Now I know what they do in this situation. No, now I know what they need. Here, have something. You know. And God knows how to facilitate our relationship with him. We're told in the book of Ephesians. He knows how to facilitate what we need. Perhaps I'll turn there directly. Because very, very inspiring words there. Let no man say when he's tempted of God, uh, tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted, oh, here it is, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You know, Jesus Christ, it says, was tempted in all points like as we. He was, te- he was tested in every possible way, sexually and every other kind of way, to see whether or not he'd lose his temper and step over the edge and, you know, he was tempted just like you and me in every possible way, yet without sin. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It requires us to gnaw on it and hang on to it and think about it and wallow around it till, till it overpowers us. The difference between us and Christ is that he rejected it, quoted God's word against it, and fasted and prayed against it, and didn't do it. Oftentimes, we as Christians will get too close to it and allow ourselves to dwell on it and think about it and look at it and look for it, maybe, and then it'll get us. So every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and then enticed. Verse 15, Then when lust is conceived... It brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sexual lust. Lust is a broad context. You know, you can lust for all kinds of things. Absolutely. Verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Light moves in a straight line. It isn't by chance that God refers to himself as light. Light moves in a straight line, which is commensurate with the concept of not variating. There's no variableness in God. He's light, and he's moving straight ahead. Straight ahead for us. Of his own will, he begot us with the word of truth. Do you remember the word of truth that that got you, by the way, just as an aside here? Any, anybody remember a, a specific moment or a, or a word of truth that got you? Remember when he was calling Peter and Andrew, James and John, the others? Remember what he said? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah. 
Do you remember the bait on the fishing pole that got you? The word of truth? That was the bait, you know, what, whatever it was. Do you remember it? Maybe it was about the Sabbath. Or maybe it was, you know, does God exist? Or any number of truths that God could supply for us. Something got your attention. Something began a process. Something started in you. You didn't start it. It started you. We'll turn there for verification here directly. Of his own will he begot us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. Some of the first fruits. The, the word here, tis or tisse, I don't know how to pronounce it. The word for kind literally means some of. In other words, that we should be one of or some of the first fruits. Not just a facsimile thereof, which the word kind can imply. No, to be some of the first fruits of his creatures, of his new creatures in Christ. 19, verse 19. Wherefore, consequently, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. We live in an environment that's contrary to that. Isn't that so? Everybody's got something to say, and they want to say it real fast and loud, constantly. They're not slow to hear, but boy, people are slow or or quick to speak. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, consequently, lay apart. In other words, exercise your free moral agency, make a choice, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. The word filthiness is hruparia and it means to make or do that which is dirty or unclean or dishonorable. And the word superfluity is perisos And it literally means an abundance of depravity or malicious thinking, which is kakia in its precise definition. So we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Verse 22, like I said, belief includes the concept of being proactive, of being engaged, of being involved, of doing something. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The word has taught us something. The word has engaged us. The word has prescribed for us a behavior. Did you know that that behavior can affect the way that you think? By going through rote behavior, even when you don't believe in something, By simply going through a discipline over and over again, it will actually affect your thought process. That's why we've been given certain things to walk in, certain good works to walk in, certain prescribed disciplines, because they will actually change the way that you think. Just simply doing them. And an example of that, maybe some of you have experienced it, is when you're praying for someone who has done you wrong, someone that you've got a grudge against, and, you, and you're being obedient to the word, but boy, you don't feel it. Have you ever prayed for somebody like that? Has somebody ever egregiously hurt you and done you wrong, and you prayed for them? I find it difficult to believe that 
any adult in this room has not had an experience like that where someone has really hammered you and done you wrong in some way. Yeah? Amen? Yeah. Have you prayed for them? I remember praying for someone like that because I, I, I was aware that the discipline is, is important. To, to do what we're supposed to do even when it's not there. Some people have characterized it as uh, faking it till you make it. You know? I, I don't have an issue with that concept. As long as we're doing it, it will have an impact upon us. I prayed for that individual, almost gritting my teeth as I did it. You know? There was no emotion in that prayer, but I remember thinking, Father, your word tells me to pray for, for my enemies. Pray for those who have harmed me. And you know how I feel about them, but I'm asking you to bless them. I'm asking you to forgive them, you know. And I kept doing that, simply out of faith in the, in the discipline. And because God's word said to do it. And, and one day I was praying, and I discovered that as I was praying for this individual, I actually had tears in my eyes. And the emotion was real. And I was sincere when I was asking God to bless them and forgive them, and to watch over them. Why? I had, that was an epiphany. In other words, I've been converted on this. Yes, my thinking has changed. Because I followed the discipline, because I did it, wrote behavior can change the way that you think. It's, it's really a fundamental premise that God's Word gives us. Behave a certain way over and over again, and it will be the new habit and replace the old habitual way of thinking. We are meatheads. We are animal in that respect. And habits can be changed. It's called the renewing of the mind. We'll get to that as well. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like unto a man beholding his natural face. Yeah, the Word of God is indeed like a mirror. Yeah. If you're a, a, a real student of God's Word, you'll find your profile there. You'll see a reflection there, you know. Where he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty... And continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Notice the word work. It is ergon. And it literally means to labor. It means the work. Oh, wait a minute. You mean there's work involved? There's something required of us more than just believing? Yes. We have to do the word, which is also work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And if any man among you seems to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, can we worship Jesus Christ in vain? Yes. A number of ways. Not just by adhering to man's traditions, but there are almost any number of ways that we can be guilty of that. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The, world, the word unspotted is aspilos. It means unaffected, 
uncontaminated, to keep yourself uncontaminated from the world. So, brethren, it is of critical importance that we apply ourselves and make that effort. Turn with me over to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. I, uh, I wasn't necessarily going to go there, but I think it's altogether fitting that we go to the book of Ephesians because it talks about timing and it, and, it, and it makes it very abundantly clear that God is doing something, moving heaven and earth towards a goal. Here in the book of Ephesians, before time began, God had a vision and a plan. Before time began, you mean to say time had a beginning? Time is not eternal? No, time is not eternal. Time is not constant in eternity. Time is something, as strange as it sounds to our ears, time had a beginning, has a current duration, and according to God's word, will have an end. And what God's got in mind beyond time, well, I don't know. He doesn't give us a whole lot about that. We can only speculate. But time had a beginning, and before its beginning, God came up with a concept. A plan, a vision, God's vision, you know, which included the concept of a family. Because God is unique. There is none like him. There is none beside him. He's absolutely, authentically unique and alone. And so he's engendering a family to be beside him, to be unique with him. Here in Ephesians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly, in heavenly, uh, our heavenly Lord in Christ, accordingly as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And the word world here is indeed uh, ianos, meaning before time. That we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, preordained, pre-thought, pre-planned, pre-willed, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God is experiencing pleasure as this is being worked out. As his will is being accomplished, it's a pleasurable experience for God. As we respond to the plan, as we respond to the call, God, according to his own good pleasure, is experiencing our coming to him because he has predestinated it unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. And the word adoption is heiothesia, and it means to become literally a member of his family, to have all the rights and ranks and honors and duties and privileges of being blood relation. Verse 6, And this is being done to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved and his beloved son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And that's what I said before about God knowing how to facilitate what we need. God is able to look and see as we succeed or as we fail and then with all prudence and wisdom respond accordingly because he is indeed the author, captain, and finisher of our faith. He has made known unto us the mystery of his will 
according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, there it is, time is ticking along. God has metered out time. In the dispensation of time, in the fullness of time, when it is time, when it is the right time. And we can correlate this with uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. In the fullness of time, let me turn over there. When the fullness of time was come, see, God is on a mission. God has a plan. And time is attached to it. We worship according to time. We worship on the seventh day. We worship according to seven annual holy days. God has blocked out moments of time. Certain things have happened in that blockage of time that he has blocked out. He calls them the Moedim of God, the Moads of God, the appointed events at appointed times for God. And when it was the right time, in the fullness of time, when, when it was the right time, when societal evolution had reached a certain point and the Hebrew scriptures had been written and coalesced, when it was the right precise time, God sent his son to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the heothesia, the adoption, the joining of, of conjoining of spirit to be his sons. And because we are his sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, consequently, we're no more servants, but sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. So now, brethren, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles over to 1 John. And I see that I'm running out of time. In the book of 1 John. In this world that's, that's going not in the direction we'd like to see it, we will have tribulation. As a matter of fact, Paul tells Timothy that all who will live a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution, will suffer all kinds of problems. I submit to you that Every generation of Christians has suffered them. And we are now a unique generation who are suffering those things that are unique to our day and age. I want to break into the text here. For me, this is, there's probably nothing more inspiring than this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled, the word of life, and John, of course, was the very last one to make, be able to make that authentic statement, that true statement. For the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and have declared, heard declare unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ." We all are participants in that. We are indeed one bread. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. If you don't understand that salvation is a very tough thing and that the cord between you and God, the Holy Spirit, between you and God and the Lord Jesus Christ 
is very strong. There's nothing weak about it. He does not easily quit. In fact, there's no quit in him. Salvation is a tough thing. He has started something that, that he looks forward to for a conclusion. He doesn't quickly and easily give that up. God is determined, and he has called us to succeed. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. What are we, what are we being told here in other words? Blessed is the man or the woman to whom God does not impute iniquity. That's a, that's a very important concept for us to understand, and if you don't understand it, you can never purely experience, truly experience the joy of salvation. Because the right title for us is sinners saved by the grace of God, is it not? Does that not currently apply to you? I'm glad no one's going to dispute me because I'd call you a liar. We'd have an ugly moment right here. The best among us still miss the mark, still fail from time to time. When we meet Christ in the air, he'll be the only one who's perfect. And our perfection will come in that meeting. But this is very important for us to walk in the light. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This was written to the church, to Christians, to people in whom God's Spirit was dwelling. If we confess our sins, anybody here ever confess their sins? I confess mine every day. Because by thought, word, or deed, we miss the mark, don't we? The old saying, confession is good for the soul. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And now I want to close, but I want to go to John chapter 6. All right. John six forty four tells us that God our Father has specifically looked at us. Specificity is implied. And if you you don't understand that, that means that God specifically, at some point, you were the focus of God's attention in, in ways necessary for him to interact with you. No one can come unless the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I want want to emphasize this, brethren, because it's powerful, and it's, it's, it's a confidence builder. God has ordained this. God has set something in motion. He has called us. He has helkuo. It literally means to pull. It means to drag. It means to pull someone. And he's pulling us to Jesus Christ. Verse 65. Therefore, the Lord Jesus said unto unto them, unto us, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And the word given here is didomi, 
And it literally means to give, to grant, to deliver, to bestow, to show someone mercy, to give, to grant, to show. So in other words, God the Father has started something in us. He has drawn us to Jesus Christ in ways that we could not have had otherwise. And now he has given us into the the keeping of Jesus Christ. So, brethren, I want you to be encouraged today. In spite of the fact that the world, this cockeyed world is going crazy and getting crazier all the time, no matter what comes down the pike, no matter what happens to us, our God sees us as winners. Our God sees us as victorious. He did not call us to lose us. And he's in your corner. The deck is stacked in your favor. But you've got to follow those disciplines. God be with you.